It is so good to see each one of you here this morning in God's house with God's people. So let's open God's word, shall we? The title of our message this morning is Hope of a New Creation. Hope of a New Creation. And the text is Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 25. Now we have extra Bibles in the back. If you didn't happen to bring yours this morning, please feel free to get up and get one. I'd love for you to open up to the text and see it and hear it. And if you don't own a Bible, please take one as a gift from us to you. Now, last fall, we had six babies born here at Palm Vista in the course of about four months. It was an exciting time. Each one of these births was unique as we welcomed baby after baby as a new addition to our church family. As the births were unique, they all had a few things in common. First, the waiting. Then, the eager expectation that soon a new creation, a new life would emerge from the womb. When would the water break? How many centimeters was she? Is it time to push? And oh, of course, pain. Expressed with loud cries of anguish. But in each case, we thank God that the pain was soon forgiven and forgotten at the birth of a healthy little girl or little boy. That mother who moments earlier was crying out in pain was now crying out with joy at this new little creation in her arms. As a matter of fact, it was the hope of this new creation that sustained each mother during the painful suffering of childbirth. And it is exactly that illustration that the Apostle Paul in the first century wrote and used to comfort the Roman Christians in their suffering. It was this hope of a new creation promised by God the Father, secured by God the Son, and sealed by God the Holy Spirit that Paul was writing to them about that would help them in their suffering. And God offers us the same hope this morning of a new creation in the midst of our suffering. So let's pray. Let's pray that our hearts would be open. Let's pray that our ears would be open, that our minds would understand God's word as we search it to find out about this new creation. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to preach your word. You would gift me, Lord, afresh and anew. Lord, that you would open every person's ears and hearts. Lord, if there are some here that do not know you, this would be, this morning would be the the day of salvation for them. It would go from a religion and just something that some people do in a curiosity to the very core of their being as you give them new life and as you save them and you make a new creation even today. Your spiritual creations in Christ. So help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read the text, shall we? Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin in verse 16. We're going to read all the way through verse 25. Are you there? Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul uses the illustration of childbirth here in this text to make a point. And we see that point in verse 18. Here it is. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Just like the suffering of childbirth for those mothers who gave birth last fall was not worth comparing with the glory of this new baby being born, this new creation, so our sufferings in this present age, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is the main point of the text. That is the main point summarizing what Paul, actually God through Paul, wants to communicate to the Roman Christians and wants to communicate to us this morning. And here it is in one sentence on the screen. Our present sufferings don't compare with our future glory. Our present sufferings don't compare with our future glory. That's what Paul wanted to communicate to first century Christians. That's what God wants to communicate to 21st century Christians. Our present sufferings don't compare with our future glory. See, this future glory is the glory that God gives his children in Christ. That's what we read in verses 16 and 17. It's a glory that is the inheritance of those who are in Christ. For that reason, dear guest, if you are not in Christ this morning, I appeal to you to repent and believe in Christ. For it is only in Christ that this glory is available. And it's a glory, dear Christian friend, that according to the end of verse 17, runs right through suffering. I know that may offend you. It may surprise you. I mean, for so many of us, man, we want the glory now. I don't want any more suffering. (laughs) But verse 17 says that we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. But suffering can tempt us to disillusionment. It can tempt us to disappointment, to bitterness. It can even tempt us to waver in our faith. I've experienced that temptation recently. Perhaps you have. 
God here this morning is saying to us, don't be surprised. Oh, dear Christian, oh, dear child, my son, my daughter, whom I have adopted, whom I called. Listen, I am telling you this morning, as God says in this text, that the future glory that is ours in Christ far outweighs the decidedly non-glorious suffering we presently experience. Listen, giving birth is non-glorious. I have witnessed the birth of my four children, and I would summarize it as follows. Blood, sweat, and tears, along with a few other bodily fluids, and lots of groans with a few screams added in for good measure. And if we are not ready for that suffering, we can be surprised by it. Like Desi, my wife, and I were surprised by the suffering that accompanied the birth of our second child. You say, was it a surprise? Didn't you already have one child? Yes, we did. But you see, for our first child's birth, our dear Vanessa, Desi received an epidural blocking much of the pain, but she reacted very poorly to that medication. So for the second birth... She went natural, as we said back then. Don't know if you say that still today. And at one point, the pain was so intense that Desi, my dear, quiet, calm, always in control Desi, threw her head back and gave one of the loudest and most sustained cries, screams, whatever you want to call it, I have ever heard. Began down on her toes and emerged from her wide open mouth. And right at that moment... The door to the delivery room was open because it happened so quickly. Right at that moment, a large crowd of Lamaze class people, little pregnant moms with their husbands, was walking by going, oh, look, here we are. How beautiful. And all of a sudden, ah! And the door was open. And, and this, this picture is emblazoned in my mind. I just remember looking up, and they're all like, and, 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 and the mothers were all going, that's going to be me in a couple of months. And just grabbing their husband. It shocked us. It shocked us. But you know what else I remember that night? I remember the nurse first closing the door. And then I remember the doctor, our dear friend, Dr. William Couture, Christian brother, gently grabbed Desi's face and just helped her to focus on the task at hand, the glory of new life to which she was about to give birth in the midst of her pain. And that is what God is doing for us in this passage. For many of us, we are suffering like that. If you're like me, I suffer loudly. I throw my head back and scream, and I want people to hear it. I'm often angry. I'm complaining. Some of you may suffer a little more quietly. You may be suffering in quiet desperation, wondering, is it worth it? Do I even want to continue? And in the midst of our suffering, God gently grabs our head and he gently draws our attention to our future glory. This future glory of the new creation that he is birthing. If I need to switch, let's switch now because you know that I'm easily distracted. I'm switching. The switch is done. Did that suffering offend you just now? It did me. Well, I'm back. The future glory of the new creation that he is birthing. And just as Desi's suffering in childbirth didn't compare with the glory of little Melinda, who is now pregnant, 
being born that night in Dallas, Texas some 26 years ago. So our present sufferings don't compare with our future glory in Christ, this new creation that he's bringing forth. Our present suffering, church, is the pathway to our future glory. That's what verse 17 tells us. And it's the reason Paul writes verse 18, because he just finished telling them, hey, you're going to be fellow heirs with Christ. Yay! Hey, you get Christ's glory. Yay! But first you have to get Christ's suffering and suffer with him. (sighs) And so in verse 18, he says, but, but, I consider, notice first person, so Paul's suffering too. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So let's examine first the present sufferings, but always in light of the future glory. Point one, our present sufferings. Our present sufferings. Point one, Paul first speaks of creation's suffering in verses 19 to 22. It's there that he likens creation's sufferings to the pains of childbirth. And then he switches, in verse 23, to the Christian's suffering. So he says the creation is suffering and the Christian is suffering. Look at verse 23. We also, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, groan inwardly. And what connects the suffering of the creation and the suffering of the Christian is groaning. Everybody's groaning. Creation is groaning. Christians are groaning. Why are we groaning? Why are we suffering? Why do we suffer? And here is the answer, friends, because of sin. We see in verses 20 and 21, look at them again with me, that the creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him, and that's speaking of God, who subjected it in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Friends, these terms, futility, bondage to corruption, is pointing to one thing and only one thing, and that is what occurred at the fall of mankind when Adam chose to disobey God and go his own way. That's when God subjected creation to futility. And it wasn't creation's fault. It was the result of what man did. But creation received the corruption. Creation is groaning. Well, let's take a look at it. Up on the screen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is right after the fall, right after man chose to disobey God. To the woman he said, this is he, God, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. There it is, ladies. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And now to Adam, in verse 17, he says the following. And to you, Adam, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. There it is. Because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, death, which he said would happen if he broke God's law. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Corruption and death. Corruption for creation. Death for mankind. Creation groans. The Christians groan. Are you groaning these days? 
Are you suffering with the corruption of creation? Are you suffering with the sin in your life or the life of someone else? The loneliness, the alienation from others, the misunderstanding, the betrayal, perhaps the ravages of sickness in your body. Please be praying for Minerva, who is Yvonne's mom. He's a missionary to Spain. She's come here from Venezuela for surgery, throat surgery tomorrow. I believe God is healing you, Minerva. I prayed that. I believe that, and that you would emerge whole. But this is sad. This is the result of the fall. Perhaps you're suffering that. Perhaps you're suffering the sadness of aging and death. Corey alluded to it. We're getting older. (laughs) We're slowing down. It's sad to see your parents not as vital as they once were. Forgetting things. Realizing you're moving in that direction. Perhaps we'll experience the corruption of creation in violent hurricanes this season. I I pray not. We've been fortunate and God's blessed us. But it could happen. See, all these and more are the result of sin and they cause us to suffer and they cause us to groan. But friends, here is the hope for you if you're groaning and suffering, and I'm sure we all are. There is one who groaned and suffered to reverse the curse. That one is Jesus Christ who came as a suffering servant, as the man of sorrows acquainted with grief, to bear our sin and our suffering. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament described him with these words. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces... He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. That's on the cross for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We are healed. We are healed. He willingly left the glory of heaven to live in this decidedly non-glorious world. He came into the sinful world, though he did not have sin, and he never sinned. And he was crushed on the cross for our sins and our iniquities. Oh, dear unbeliever, this is what I'm talking about. Believe this. This is where hope comes from. And he was crushed for us so that he might give us the glory that we so foolishly forfeited in Adam. The glory that he had with the Father, he willingly left and came to this world. But now he promised us while he was here that he would ascend back to the Father, back to glory, and he would share it with us. But his pathway to glory, church, was suffering. And ours is as well. Don't be surprised by that. There is no spiritual epidural for that suffering. But there is glory on the other side of that suffering and that future glory. Our hope is the subject of point two, our future glory. Friends, our present sufferings don't compare with our future glory because our future glory is so spectacular that according to verse 19, look at verse 19, all of creation waits for it. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of men. That Greek word, the eager longing, it's like creation itself. It's up on its tiptoes. It's kind of waiting for it. Is it coming? Where, where is it? That's how spectacular our future glory is. Because it is the revealing of the sons of God. That's what it says in verse 19. That's us. That sons is generic. Sons and daughters. This will happen at Christ's second coming, as Corey alluded to. Thank you for that, Corey. When we celebrate communion, yes, we look back at his death and resurrection, and we look forward to his second coming. Both and. I love it. He said that. Do this in remembrance of me until I come. Until I come. Paul restates this truth again in verse 21. Look at it. Verse 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption when, and obtain the freedom when, Obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's the glory mentioned at the end of verse 17. That's the glory we're looking to. That's the glory that's in the future, but we have a down payment of it now. We have a pledge of it now in the midst of our suffering. It's a future glory. It's the day of our inheritance in Christ. It's the day when that promise we were given of being inheritors, fellow heirs with Christ, will be fulfilled. What a glorious day this will be. And a glimpse of that glorious day and the beauty of that glorious day is what sustains us today in our suffering. It's interesting. If you look at verse 23 again, please, it says something interesting. It says this. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Wait a second. I thought I was already adopted as a son or a daughter. Didn't you preach that last week, Al? I did. And Paul wrote that last week. But what we have here is this already not yet aspect of salvation. I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. I have been adopted and I will be adopted. Why? Because if you look at the end of this verse, the aspect of adoption that I haven't yet received fully is this, the redemption of our bodies. Corey Lee Smidgen, we do have a promise. We're going to age and it could get ugly. You know, just, I don't know, adult depends, you know, maybe in the picture there for some of us. Hopefully not. But here's one thing I do know, that one day, this body, however old it is when Jesus comes back or if I'm in the grave, will be renewed into an immortal resurrection body. It's not just the redemption of my soul, but my body as well. And creation will be redeemed. That's what they're waiting for. That's what they're waiting for. Listen, when are we going to get out of bondage to this corruption that came because of sin? On that day. It's this way. On that day. That's how glorious this thing is. That's what sustains us. That's what's being birthed. That we can say, okay, I'm in childbirth. I'm in pain. I'm in groaning. People are denying me. People are betraying me. Uh, People around me aren't acting the way I want them to act. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I'm sick. I'm distraught. I'm confused. Who am I? My identity is being shaken. What am I going to do? I'm brokenhearted. A relationship hasn't worked out. And all of that is the groaning. But listen, I've got this future hope of glory. Oh, friends, on that day, there will be no more blood, sweat, and tears, for the blood, sweat, and tears of Christ have redeemed all of creation and us, God's elect, in one glorious display of the inheritance that is ours in Christ as his followers that will be consummated on that day. It was begun when he came on the cross and his resurrection, his ascension, and will be consummated on that day of his second coming. This is the day we're glorified. This is the hope that we have.
Tom Schreiner talks about this in his commentary. I think the quote's on the, on the screen. Paul encourages believers to endure temporary sufferings by giving, giving them a glimpse of the beauty that awaits the children of God. Do you have that glimpse, church, this morning? Do you see it? The glory that awaits you, dear child of God. And if you don't know God, you didn't receive communion, you're lost. Oh, I pray, my prayer for you this morning has been that God would open your eyes and give you that glimpse. It's an irresistible glimpse. It's irresistible grace. It will draw you to the Savior. Oh, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, as those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Do you see that in verse 23? This first fruits of the Spirit... And not only the creation, but we ourselves who had the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. The Spirit has been given to us as a pledge of this glory. These are the first fruits that we have. And he provides us with this hope of a new creation. Well, it's the hope that he began this section with. Do you know that we're almost at the end of a big section of this letter? It began in chapter 5, verse 1. It ends on the last verse of chapter 8. This whole section is about hope. Well, let me refresh your memory. Look at Romans 5, 1 through 5 on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in what? Hope of what? The glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is a unique hope. It's hope that enables us to rejoice in our suffering. Paul started talking about this in 5, 1 through 5. He's talking about again here in 8, 18. They're bookends to this whole section. It's a clue that this section's about to end. He's reviewing what he began it with. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse 4, and endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. Got hope? Man, you lose hope, you lose everything. But we've got hope that cannot be taken from us. Based on the certainty by the Spirit as a pledge of our future resurrection bodies. I'm getting a new body, you're getting a new body. Creation's becoming new. That's hope, man. That's hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Verse 5, oh, praise God. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. It is the Holy Spirit who connects the already with the not yet. He gives us joy in the midst of our suffering and hope. God's hope. This hope that Paul is writing about here in Romans 5. Oh, again, I would just say to you, if you're here this morning and you do not have the Spirit, then you cannot have this hope because he's the one that gives it based on what Jesus did. And I pray, I've prayed, oh, please repent and believe that God might give you this hope, that you might experience what Paul talked about here. Go back to verse 1 again, David. This justification by faith, this peace through God, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, It's obtained by faith. You can't earn it. None of us have earned it. And dear Christian, if you had this hope, if you had this salvation, if this is yours, can I just tell you this? 
You were saved in this hope. Look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Christian, this is part of salvation. At the beginning, when you were first saved, hope came with it. Hope came with it. It's the hope that we possess in Christ. It is this hope of the glory of God that sustains you in your suffering. And listen, Christian, you will never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame. I don't care what you're suffering. You will never be put to shame. Ever. You'll never be sorry that you have your hope in this future resurrection, in this future glory. And then in verses 24 and 25, it just defines hope for us. It's very interesting. See, by definition in these verses, we hope for what we do not see, and thus we wait patiently for it. See, that's our present condition. We are in the history of redemption right now where we are waiting patiently for the glory of God that is surely coming our way. This is no passive patience, but it's active, faith-filled patience. It's eager, eager waiting. It's confident waiting. Well, John Stott says it this way. We are confident in God's promises that the first fruits will be followed by the harvest. Bondage by freedom, decay by incorruption, and labor pains by the birth of the new world. Friends, we're called to suffer. Because suffering is how Christ entered glory, and suffering is how we will enter glory. But we suffer with our eyes on Christ, not the suffering. Pardon the football illustration. But if you're a quarterback, and you're dropping back to pass... I know there's another kind of football going on right now. Hats off to that one. I love it. But I grew up with American football. And you're dropping back to pass, and you've got 300-pound linemen coming at you to try to break every bone in your body and crush you before you can throw that pass. Your eyes aren't on those 300-pound linemen. Your eyes are downfield on your receiver so you can make a play. So as we suffer, our eyes are not on the suffering that's coming to crush us because it can't crush us. It will not crush us. Ultimately, we will rise because Jesus rose, and we're in him, and the Spirit is the pledge of that. And we keep our eyes downfield on our Savior who passed through suffering into glory. Look at Hebrews 12.2. Looking to Jesus, Hebrews 12.2. Next passage. Great. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, right now in glory. And one day, we will share that glory with him. Not at the right hand of the throne of God, that's reserved for Jesus. But under his rule, we will rule and reign with him. Do you believe this? See, this is the battle for every believer to wait with faith for this glory, always looking, standing on our tippy toes, eagerly longing for it. Oh, friend, long for this glory, not the glory of this world, not the fame and the fortune and the relationships and the pleasure and the ease. Right now, as I'm getting older, it's ease. I'm longing for that glory. I'm like wanting to punch the time card. Say, okay, I've suffered enough. I think I hear the whistle blowing. It's five o'clock somewhere. Let's go. Done with the suffering, I'm ready for the glory. Yes. And I love the beach. I love the Keys. I love the Caribbean. Just give me my place right on the ocean, right on the, you know, just a nice beverage and um, some things to enjoy. And 
Off we go. And God's saying, not yet. Not yet, Pino. Not yet. Not yet. Long for my glory that is still to come. All other glories are counterfeit glories. They're the glories of this world that will fail you. All those other glories will wilt and melt under the withering heat of suffering, real, true suffering. And yes, we will suffer, but we suffer with the promise and hope of glory. We suffer with the hope of a new creation. Listen, when Desi was suffering the pains of childbirth with dear Melinda 26 years ago, if she had not been cognizant that she was suffering because there's a new creation coming, she would have thought she was dying. Right, ladies? You've suffered that. If she hadn't been aware that there's a new creation coming imminently, she would have thought this pain can only mean that I am literally dying. I'm going to die right now. But no, Desi was aware that she was suffering because something new was coming. And we must be aware that we're suffering. We're not dying. Desi wasn't dying. She was about to give birth to life. And the enemy will come and tell you you're dying. You tell him, no, I'm not. Life is here, and it's guaranteed by the Spirit who dwells in me, the same Spirit that was there when Christ was raised from the dead, and he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to my mortal body. I may feel like I'm dying, but this hope of new life and new creation will sustain me. That's what the Spirit does for us. We're going to explore that further next week. John Piper said something like this. I couldn't find the exact quote, but he said something like this. No pain is pointless. No suffering is senseless in the redemptive plan of God as he fulfills his sovereign will to redeem all of creation, starting with his people. We are those people if we are in Christ. So let us declare together, church, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let us pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Lord, I'm aware that in this room there are people suffering to varying degrees. From Minerva, who's about to go into a very serious surgery tomorrow morning for cancer of her throat, to her son, Ivan, who's this missionary friend we've gotten to know from Spain, to teenagers who are experiencing relational breaks and pain, to children, perhaps, who are suffering in a world that they don't understand, to, to the elderly who are suffering the pain of not being able to communicate. You know, my own mother at times just can't speak like she once was able to speak, and, and, and she'll just cry. So many of us have seen our dreams dashed, our hopes broken. Proverbs even says, that, that when the hope is, is gone, who can withstand that? It's, it's, a broke, it's a terminal broken heart. Lord, would you come and give us hope this morning based upon the pledge of the Holy Spirit in us that one day this body will be redeemed, that we will rule and reign with you and share your glory on that day in the new heavens and the new earth Though we suffer today. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you'd open his or her eyes, even as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Let us confess together our future glory made certain by the Spirit, by the Spirit who dwells in us and assures us of this pleasant blessing, the blessing we're about to sing about, and that is the blessing of those whose sins are overcome by the blood of Jesus, those who are sheltered deep within his grace today. 
and destined to be revealed on that day as his sons and his daughters because of the victory of Christ.